Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 350 and we're talking about how to plan your trip to Europe. That's right. And guess what we're doing right now? Go on. Go on. Well, I kind of know. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you do. We are planning our trip to Europe, which is beginning to take off in less than a month. We are leaving Auckland again, heading back out on the road. It's going to be so good. But let's leave the future for the future. What have we been up to recently? Well, last time we recorded a podcast, we were up in Russell. Uh, I seem to remember that we were in the spare room of the Airbnb where we were staying with a blanket over our heads. And I edited the podcast and published it in a, a very nice bar in the main street. So that was quite nice. We have since returned from Russell. Unfortunately, the day that I was getting the podcast up, Craig went fishing with his stepdad and managed to fall over and hurt his arm. So the last couple of weeks have been a bunch of trips to the hospital and to the doctor and to various places to get x-rays, and we're still waiting to see what's going to come of it, but hopefully he'll be better soon. Yeah, it's definitely damaged some of my summer outdoor goals. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the worst part of it all was that he caught a big fish, but then wasn't able to bring it in. I know, it was so ironic. Yeah. Big fish story, of Mm. course. Yeah, the one that got away. The one that got away. But we have been doing a little bit. We've been uh, spending time with friends and uh, been going to a little bit of the cricket that's been on in Auckland. But the weather has been absolutely wild. We've had a cyclone that's come through that's before it hit New Zealand, heavily impacted Fiji and Tonga. So our thoughts to everyone that's up there Mm. and other islands that have been impacted by these cyclones. Yeah, we've just got the tail end of it. And they're calling it X cyclone Gita now. And what's interesting is that the next cyclone is going to be called, or the next big storm is going to be called Calvin, which is my dad's name. So I'm waiting to see what he makes of that. How how much damage that does. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So yeah, it's been really good being in New Zealand this time. We've really enjoyed it. And uh, we're looking forward to doing our trip to Europe this year and then coming back again next summer to spend some more time here. Yeah, and we're going to be meeting up with some listeners and other travel bloggers over the next little while and uh, people that have heard we're back in Auckland and we're in one place long enough for them to find us. So I've had a few emails from people and going to be catching up with some of them coming up. So that's pretty cool. Looking forward to that. Awesome. Our sponsor for this week is Big Domain, which specializes in providing large holiday homes which sleep 10 people or more. And, you know, we're very big fans of going away with a group of friends and spending time together like we did in New Year's. So this is really a perfect sponsor for us. Yeah, Big Domain is for places to stay that sleeps between 10 and 90 people. I don't know if we could get 90 friends together, but hey, there might be a wedding, a family reunion, something like that where everyone needs to come in. So for destination trips with big groups of people, Big Domain is the place to be. They have a lot of houses all across the UK and Europe, but also in some far-flung locations like the Caribbean, Morocco, Thailand, Sri Lanka, Australia, and right here in New Zealand as well. Yeah, and those houses go from country houses to chateau, super yachts to ski lodges, so it's going to be fun. So if you're planning a trip with a big group of people, 10 people or more, visit thebigdomain.com and check out what they have. Yeah, that's T-H-E bigdomain.com. All right, well, let's get on to talking about planning your trip to Europe. We have planned many trips to Europe and failed to plan even more. (laughs) So I thought this might be a good topic because if it's your first time to Europe, or even if you've been to Europe many times, there are some things to consider that you, you might not have thought of. So yeah, let's get into it. Cool. Well, first of all are the big picture questions. How long are you going to go? 
How, what's the duration of the trip? Number two, what are the main aims for the trip? Do you want to focus on one area? Do you want to jump around and do a taster of a bunch of different locations? Are there any special events like concerts or gallery openings or things like that that you want to hit? And number three, always the big one, how much money have you got to spend? Yeah, so I think if you've got those three things in mind, it can really help you narrow things down a little bit. Now, depending on how much time you have before the trip, it's a good idea to start dreaming about the trip. So get some coffee table books and brochures, have a look on Google Earth, start just thinking about what there is in Europe that you want to see. Anticipation is half the fun, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you say coffee table books because, you know, we do most of our research and planning online. But there's something about during that dreaming stage about having a book and the the serendipity of running into things you might not otherwise see. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I quite like getting a Lonely Planet or something like that, you know, one of those big Bible-y type Mm -hmm. Europe on a shoestring books. And, you know, get that out of the library for a bit, leave it on the coffee table and in the ad breaks, pick it up open it up to some random page and see if anything catches my attention. Yeah. And while you can kind of stumble through articles on the internet or just keep following related links, there's something about having all of that information in this one dense volume, right? There's Mm -hmm. something a bit different about how you find information in a book. Yeah, I think so. And I think just the idea of being able to do it for a minute or two minutes, quite often when you sit down at the computer and start doing trip planning, you're trip planning, right? You're focused. Whereas if you're just watching TV and you pick up the book and, and flick through it and see a nice picture of something, you oh, that sounds interesting. It's still in that kind of dreaming phase. And I think that's a really valuable phase to go through. Yeah, and something I was speaking to someone the other day, what they like to do is they put on uh, YouTube and just mm-hmm. get it to autoplay the next recommended video. Uh-huh. And so they've got more time than me, obviously, because mm-hmm. I can read a few paragraphs and then have to jump away into something else. <laughs> but they'll have uh, YouTube going and just it surfaces all of these different locations and experiences and festivals and ideas, you know, just just by running. So, yeah. That's interesting. Pretty cool. I think the next thing I'd do is to get a, a big map of Europe. Now, this, this will work for other destinations as well, but specifically for Europe because it's so culturally dense, right? I mean, there are so many countries in a relatively small area. So you get a big map and you look at it and you go, okay, well, oh, Vienna is near there and, you know, you can kind of get an idea of where everything is which gives you an idea. You know, you've you've had all these influences over your life. You've heard about Venice and Rome and, you know, all of these places, but you might not necessarily know exactly where they're located. So get an idea of where they are and maybe circle the places you're thinking about going to and start thinking about possible routes, still very tentative at this point. Yeah, and from there, you've got an idea of what countries you want to go to. You can look into the viability of getting visas for those countries. Now, A lot of Europe is covered by a borderless multi-country region called the Schengen Zone. And so you get a a visa for the Schengen Zone and can travel, you know, an unlimited amount within those countries for a set period of time. It's a three-month limit for uh, most countries. Mm -hmm. But there are some countries that aren't part of that Schengen Agreement. So when you step out of that, you're in a different jurisdiction again. Yeah. Also, many countries, including Canada, the US, Australia, and New Zealand, you don't have to actually apply for the Schengen visa. You just you just go, and that's okay. But I know that South Africa and other countries, India, you do have to apply for the Schengen visa, and you, you might want to do that well in advance. 
You might also want to think about some countries that have completely different visa situations, such as Ukraine and Belarus. I thought that Ukraine had changed their visa regulations because we were going to Moldova and Moldova certainly had. They had relaxed things. It used to be that you needed to get a letter of invitation like you do if you're going to Russia. So Moldova changed those rules. We went to Moldova. Then we went to Ukraine. Turns out that Ukraine had not changed their visa regulations and New Zealanders still did need a visa. So we were on the train to Ukraine when it suddenly crossed my mind that maybe I'd gotten it wrong. And I I looked it up on my phone and yeah, I was wrong. At that point, about half an hour later, the the border guards came onto the train and uh, Yeah. yeah. We, we couldn't bluff them well enough, could we? <laughs> they kicked us off. Craig was fine because he has a British passport and people from the UK are fine. They don't need a visa to go to Ukraine. New Zealanders do. So we spent a very cold couple of hours in the border office between Ukraine and Moldova and then got back on a train, spent another week or so in Moldova. It was not ideal. So I would recommend you try to avoid this situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting turned back at the border is mm. never good. I think at that point, we're really getting from the dreaming into the planning and researching stages of things. So number one, get that big picture idea, put out all of your dreams, put them down on a map so you get an idea of of distance and space and also concentration Mm -hmm. of the various things you want to do. And then, you know, get onto those visas as quickly as possible as you begin to look at Ways in, ways out, and ways around. Mm -hmm. So the next point is getting in. So you're probably going to want to arrive by plane. So a good thing to do is to start researching flights well in advance. You can use services like Skyscanner, which is an aggregator, uh, collects information from a lot of different airlines. A service like Secret Flying, which has information about air affairs and special deals, and also travel agent deals. We really like to start by going to a travel agent or just going to a travel agent website to see how much flights cost, direct flights from where we are to where we want to go, because that gives us a good baseline. And actually, sometimes that's the flight we end up buying. Yeah, absolutely. It's really neat using things like Skyscanner to go and aggregate all of that data for you. So you Mm -hmm. don't need to go to dozens of different websites. But my little cheeky trick is after we've done that, if we're still not completely happy with the price, to call up a local travel agent and ask if they can beat it. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes they have access to prices that might not be advertised, but can still be a great deal. Yeah, most recently we've found some really, really good flights through a combination of these factors. So I think we originally saw a deal on, on Secret Flying that was saying it was really cheap to go from Australia to Greece. So I went directly to the website of the airline who had this deal and and found the flight and booked it directly. Now, this was a one-way flight. So there are lots of different kinds of flights you can consider. You can consider return flights from where you're starting to where you're going and back again. You might also want to buy individual one-way tickets. So in this case, we've booked flights from Melbourne to Athens, and that's it. We'll travel around Europe and uh, in three or four months, we'll think about how we're going to get home again. Recently, we've been doing a lot of return flights because we found some really good deals on return flights. But another thing you might want to consider is an open jaw ticket, which is where you fly from your origin to your destination. Then you travel around Europe and you fly home from a different point. So you might fly from your home to London and then return home from Vienna, for example. So that's a really good option. Travel agents will often do that for you, or you can just buy two one-way tickets to make that work. 
One thing to consider is alternative airports, and especially like the longer you're going, the the less important it is to land mm. right smack bang in the middle of the city. So sometimes by adding an extra hour of transit time after you arrive or when you go to the airport, you can go to an airport that has cheaper taxes and cheaper costs for the airline and they get passed on to you. Mm-hmm. So you can get cheaper tickets sometimes by flying from an airport that's, you know, just an hour, an hour and a half away by bus or train. Yeah. Also, like Craig said, the longer time you have when you're traveling, the less important it is where you actually arrive. So you might be wanting to go to Italy, but you don't mind which city you fly to. So you might have been planning to fly into Milan, but then it turns out that there was a flight to Naples that was a lot cheaper. Well, if you're going to be traveling around Italy anyway, then you might as well fly to Naples and just rearrange your route a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. Flexibility is the name of the game. And the longer you're going, the more flexible you can be. Okay, so you don't need to book your flights right at this point, but it's really good to do that research early on in the process. Next, And if you find a great deal, to take advantage of it. Don't sit on it for a couple of weeks until it's all sold out. Well, that's right. That's a really good point. And that's quite likely to happen with secret flying because they have air affairs, which means that maybe the airline has put in some data incorrectly and has some flights that shouldn't be so cheap. Be aware that with air affairs, the airline might decide not to honor those. So don't book too much in terms of accommodation and transport if you've booked an air affair. Okay, so now that you've got some basic idea of what you want to do, start planning your route and your stay a little bit more in detail. One thing we've learned from many, many trips in Europe is that it's best not to plan to do too much. We have had trips where we've been in a different city every day. I remember one trip, one of our first trip through Europe, remember we had a Eurail pass and it gave us as much train travel as we liked over 15 days. And we basically got up in the morning, went to one city, had lunch there, got back on a train, went to another city, had afternoon tea there, got on the train, went to another city. It was either like that or yeah, we'd we, do, yeah, we'd two do. to three cities a day, right? Absolutely. And then sometimes we'd be on the train overnight to wake up in another city for breakfast. Yeah. We met some people, I think it was a father and a daughter who also had a URL pass, and they'd planned this zigzag route across Europe so that they could see as much as possible. And they were sleeping on the train every night, but they hadn't got sleeper carriages. They were just going to be sleeping in their seats. Yeah. And I thought they were absolutely mad. They were going to be totally exhausted by the end of the trip because they were optimizing their use of the ticket, but they were going to be on the train for like 80% of their time. I don't think it was a very good idea. We've since discovered that with URL passes, you're much better instead of getting the ones where you get 15 consecutive days of travel to get one of the ones I think where you can get like eight days within two months, that works much better. Because then if you've got a big travel day, you can use one of your eight travel day uh, Mm -hmm. passes from the URL pass. And then you might want to stay somewhere for three or four days. And then you might go, okay, well, I just want to go the next city over. That's only half an hour. You can just buy that ticket with cash. Yeah. Yeah. And then do the next big inter-country one or a cross-country one with the the pass. Yeah. I think we'll talk more about transport in a minute, though. Cool. Well... You know, this comes back to this idea of of having a map and having an idea of how dense and how widespread the things you want to do are. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you might need to start crossing some things off your wish list. Yeah. it's That's painful. Definitely. But uh, you might have some outlying things that just don't fit into the rest of the trip. And you can deal with that either by canceling it off, saying goodbye, mm-hmm. or looking for a flight to jump from, you know, the end of one logical trip over here 
and make a jump over to a new starting point in another area. Yeah, we did that once. Yeah, this is something we've done traveling a a bit ironically, I guess. We're traveling from the border of Switzerland and France, and we traveled up, 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 up to Scandinavia, going through uh, bits of France, Germany. It was great. We got up to Scandinavia. The next place we wanted to go was Spain. Now have a look at a map of Europe, and you will see... Scandinavia and Spain, not so close. Yeah, yeah. So it was really hard for us. Where our, our two main things we wanted to see, Scandinavia and Spain, yeah, not we, close. We'd had the opportunity to start in France, so we had to go to France for a certain date to see the Tour de France, and that was kind of in the middle, so we couldn't make a circle just because of the way Europe is laid out. So we found the cheapest flight we could from Scandinavia, which was, I think it was Oslo, to Spain. Now, Scandinavia is quite big and Spain is quite big, and we just did some research to find what's the cheapest flight from that region to this region? And it was Oslo to Valencia. So that's what we did. Yeah, it was perfect. So yeah, so when you have these potential issues where there's big outliers, budget flights in Europe are of super budget, very cheap, Mm -hmm. and run pretty much nonstop. There are so many carriers competing for so many of these routes that, yeah, you'll be able to make a jump from A to B pretty easily. Yeah, I probably wouldn't recommend using flights for your whole trip because you know you do end up spending quite a lot of time in the airport and that cuts into your enjoyment of the trip we really like getting around by train and we talked earlier a little bit about the Eurail pass so a Eurail pass or for european residents an interrail pass can be a really good choice for that but do a bit of research because it doesn't necessarily make financial sense for all trips Um, i think it's really good if you want to be quite flexible in your trip planning make sure that you prepare for a combination of factors. We usually would get maybe a URL pass for some of the transport and then buy some tickets, point-to-point tickets in advance, some tickets just on the day. So if you're starting to think about transport, think about how you're going to get from place to place using services like Rome to Rio. It's really useful for giving you an idea, but be aware that not all data is up to date. It might have information that's out of date. Yeah, that website, Rome number two Rio, is great for ground transport. It- yeah. It'll give you an estimate of drive time, just like Google Maps will, but it will also give you estimates of train and bus connections and the costs and the distances and the times for those as well. Yeah. We usually use Rome to Rio as a, a starting point and then move on to local websites to get more information. Yeah. more ac- Well, just double check the accuracy well, a lot right. of the time. Especially with, when it comes to prices. So, for example, I think one of the best train websites to use is barn.de which is the German rail website. I find that really useful. And it quite often has prices, certainly for within Germany. It sometimes doesn't have prices for other trips. But yeah, really, really useful. Yeah, that's B-A-H-N dot D-E. Yeah. And the Austrian one's pretty good too. That's O-E-B-B dot A-T. Now at this point, if you've found that all of this transport is a little bit difficult, or maybe that you've got quite a lot of things on your to-do list that just going to be hard to fit in, you might want to consider doing a tour or doing a tour for part of your trip. We find tours can be really useful, especially like say four or five day ones for doing things that might be difficult to do otherwise. Or say you've only got two weeks and you want to spend a week doing really quite intense travel. It might be a good option to look into. Perfect. Well, let's stop talking about transport. We recently did a podcast that talks about all of the different forms of transport from hitchhiking to hiking to ride sharing to hiring cars to, 
you know, buses, trains, planes, automobiles, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check that out at IndieTravelPodcast.com. So let's cut this one short. Mm-hmm. Have a bit of a chat about accommodation in Europe. Well, we've talked about accommodation on previous podcasts quite a lot. But I'd recommend that you you mix it up. Don't just stick to one form of accommodation. We've quite often done trips where we're only staying in hotels, only staying in hostels, or only couch surfing. But these days we really enjoy trying different types. When you first arrive, I'd probably recommend you go with a hotel, maybe an airport hotel, depending on, on where you're arriving to. But yeah, mix it up. Try Try everything. Now, the accommodation market has changed a lot since we started traveling a little while ago. Twelve years ago. Um, And one thing that I found really funny is a lot of the hostels that I had been to in New Zealand up until that point, you needed to bring your own sleeping bag. Mm -hmm. They were still, not all of them, but the majority of them were still the the hostels of old, Mm -hmm. like the... You know, the Youth Hostel Association of of the 50s, you yeah. know, and there weren't so many around, uh, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. that were the more hotel-like youth hostels that you get now. And that kind of threw us a little bit. Yeah. So we had our sleeping sheets and we had our sleeping bags. Our enormous sleeping we, bags. Yeah, because I think they were rated down to about negative 20 because we're going to Europe and Europe is cold. Yeah. And we were so wrong. <laughs> and we were going around and almost everywhere there was a ban on using your own sleeping bags and yeah. sleeping sheets because they're concerned about bed bugs. Yeah, moving bed bugs from one hostel to another. Yeah, and so every place would have their own, uh, normally like a one-time use disposable bed cover and then uh, freshly laundered duvets and things like that Mm -hmm. to sleep under. And so that was, yeah, that was a a really big shock for us. Yeah, we found it quite surprising that staying in a hostel was similar to staying in a hotel except for that you were sharing a room. Yeah, yeah. And now uh, hosteling has exploded again, had a really big resurgence Mm -hmm. as a type of accommodation. And some hostels are more like kind of cheap, minimalist hotels. Well, that's right. We really like staying in hostels for that reason. I mean, it can often be a lot cheaper than a hotel. Wi-Fi is often more widely available and better than in a hotel. And you also often get access to a kitchen or a common area that might not be available in a hotel. One other thing that's changed a lot since we first started traveling is Airbnb, which wasn't around when we first started, and we use it a lot these days. So with Airbnb, you can either stay in a, a private room in someone else's house. You cannot, They've also got shared rooms, but we've never tried that. That seems a bit weird. Uh, or you can rent out an entire apartment. So if you're traveling with friends, it can be a really, really good way to get a private space that's got a kitchen, got all of the amenities that you want, but quite often in a really good location. Cool. Well, what about the fun stuff? What about the the stuff you're going to see, the things you're going to do, the events you're going to attend? Mm-hmm. What about the activities of a European trip? How do you go about planning that even? Well, that's the hard part. I mean, I think we're maybe not the best people to talk about this because we tend to just arrive and then see what there is to do. For example, we were talking earlier about our trip from Oslo to Valencia. Well, we were telling a friend that we were doing that and he said, oh, you'll be in Valencia for La Tomatina the big tomato fight. And we said, no, we won't. He said, well, yeah, you will. We said, no, because we just booked those flights. It was the cheapest one. Couldn't possibly be arriving in time for La Tomatina because flights for festivals like that book up ages in advance and are really expensive. He said, look, I'm telling you, you're going to be there for La Tomatina. And we looked it up. We were arriving, I think, two nights before La Tomatina. Mm. And we'd booked our accommodation for the next two nights. 
but not for the third and fourth night, which were like the nights before <laughs> the and after nights. of the festival. So we ended up having a bit of trouble with those because we were planning to stay for four nights. And we had a bit of trouble finding accommodation. We got it in the end. And uh, our friend said, oh, so you're coming? Craig said, you know, it's not really my thing. I said, Craig, I think we have to go because we're here. And so we decided to go, and it was actually quite awesome. We had a really good time. But you might want to do a little bit more preparation for the activities. <laughs> you know, actually, if you want to go to La Tomatina, plan to go. We did actually with Aro because our friend Janine wanted to go to a wine-throwing fight, just keeping the trend. So she said to us, I want to do this. And so we did a lot of planning in advance to make sure that we would arrive before that fight and that we had accommodation. We booked that well in advance because we knew that it was going to get booked up, partly because of our experience with La Tomatina. Yeah, and Aro is a bit smaller than Valencia, right? That's true. So yeah, I think the <laughs> trick is... thousands of times. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think the trick is to, to really think about the things that you want to do, maybe make a list and order them in order of importance. If you're traveling with someone else, communicate. Have a good conversation about it and think about what you really want to do. Some attractions are actually quite expensive and some are very time-consuming. So think about what you most want to do while you're in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. There are, uh, on various forums and things like that, you'll be able to ask or already see pre-asked questions about really specific things about like how long do you have to queue to do X mm -hmm. or things like that. And that can really help you out because, you know, if you're time limited, a classic example, if you're in Paris for a day and you want to go up the Eiffel Tower, mm. you've got the choice to queue for a couple of hours and burn up a lot of your day mm -hmm. or to pay a lot of money and get one of the tickets to skip the queue, do a private tour, mm -hmm. go up to the restaurant, have a restaurant booking. Mm -hmm. But all of those things need to be booked in advance. That's right. Yeah, I just think that's such a classic example because mm -hmm. you always see these multi-hour queues, yeah. you know, outside the Eiffel Tower. And if you're only around for a day – you know, it might be worth skipping that yeah. and making sure that you go and see, I don't know, almost anything else. Yeah. It's actually similar in Florence. They've got those long lines outside the Uffizi and the other galleries. Yeah. But if you buy a Florence pass, which is actually not that expensive, it works out to more or less the cost of the two main galleries, uh, you get to skip the queue. So things like that. Do a little bit of research. Find out how you can save time in that way. You can also save money. Uh, I mentioned the Florence Pass. So many cities have city passes, which allow you access to museums and activities and other things uh, within a certain time period, and often also include public transport. So they can be a really good option. They're not all created equal, though, so it's worth doing a little bit of research to work out whether a city pass is worthwhile in your case. We found, for example, that the Salzburg card was really good, and also I think the Nuremberg card was awesome. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, Nuremberg was so cool. Yeah, I'm just eating Nuremberg sausages in my mind right now. I think Nuremberg is one of my favorite places in all of Europe. Oh, so much fun. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the oh, I'm completely sidetracked now. Okay. Thanks very much. Sorry, we're talking about discounts. So city cards, but you can also find discounts in other ways. For example, some museums are free if you go after a certain time, for example, after 4 p.m. or on certain days, maybe like the first Monday of the month or the second Sunday or something like that. Some are also half price if you arrive by train. Heaps of places have discounts. So if you're going somewhere and you know that it's going to be a bit pricey, do a little bit of research to work out if you can get it cheaper. And if you're going into London, so many of the museums there are completely free. It yeah. just blows my mind. Yeah. Some of the best museums around. 
Yeah. Just so, fantastic. So if you're going to be traveling around Europe and you're planning on doing two or three museums, you might be best to plan to do them in London rather than elsewhere. <laughs> we mentioned La Tomatina and the Aro Wine Fight. Uh, look into festivals that you might want to attend. We often find that we, we don't plan to go to festivals, but we sometimes show up in a place and it's going on, so we enjoy that. But if there's something you particularly want to be involved in, maybe a beer festival or a music festival, do some research and maybe you want to plan your trip around that. Yeah, and thinking of beer festivals, since I really enjoy them, mm -hmm. one of the classics and the most popular beer festival, most known outside of Germany, is probably the uh, the Munich Oktoberfest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's so big that it's not actually that fun, yeah. in we my haven't, opinion. We haven't we, been for that reason. We've talked to a lot of people who have been, and... Apparently it's quite overrated. And there are dozens and dozens of other local beer festivals mm -hmm. right throughout Germany and, in fact, right throughout Europe. Europe is a continent where almost every country makes its own beer and makes its own wine mm -hmm. and makes its own cheese and its own dried meats. And, and there Don't are worry. festivals for everything. We're going back soon, darling. It's Gosh, okay. I must be hungry. You sound <laughs> So yes, I would recommend maybe give the Munich Beer Festival a miss and find a different smaller beer festival that you might enjoy more. Yeah, and that rule holds true for a, a bunch of stuff, you know. Sometimes that going to uh, a seasonal festival in a smaller city mm -hmm. can be a lot more fresh and unique. Yeah. So you've been inspired by seeing photos and videos from a certain festival in a big city. Uh -huh. and. I don't know. For me, I, I don't feel a need to tick things off the bucket list. I don't need to do the prestige thing. Mm -hmm. And so moving uh, 100Ks down the coast to a different city yeah. where they also celebrate the same thing can be uh, kind of cool. Definitely. And some of our favorite memories are from little tiny festivals, like that Juncker festival we went to in, in Austria, St. Mm. Anna You'd never go there to go to this festival, but it was magic. It was yeah. so much fun. We got to try all these brand new wines and yeah, we were kind of the guests of honor because they were the only ones there from New Zealand. And it was brilliant. Yeah. And going to uh, San Juan in Coruña was mm. just, I don't think I'll ever forget what five kilometers of beach looks like when it has thousands of fires yeah. on it. Yeah. It was like something out of a war movie, but everyone was partying and dancing and chilling out around the barbecue and having fun rather yeah. than, you know, attacking each other with military grade weapons uh -huh. but uh you know but the the smoke the fire the you know it was, was quite awesome. bacchanalian yeah i think that that might be worth going back for actually yeah that's something that i would travel for all right so there are lots of things you can take into consideration when you're planning a trip to europe you can think about make a, a general plan you can think about your transport you can think about your accommodation you can think about your activities certain things that you really don't want to miss so let's get on to talking about kind of some general ideas one point that I'd really like to make is that you shouldn't feel like you have to book everything in advance, unless you like to do that. Some people like to have everything planned out. Personally, we like to book our flights in and out and then kind of arrive and see how we go. You might want to find a middle road where you, you book the first few nights, definitely book the first few nights, I'd recommend that, and then have some kind of markers along the way where you plan to be. You can book things on the road. I mean, especially with the ease of online booking these days, it's not like you have to have it all sorted. Absolutely, yeah. The longer you're going, the less planned you need to be, exactly. right? 
and you can plan those those waypoints in your trip.、Mm-hmm. You know, on this date, I want to be in this city to do this thing.、Mm-hmm. Or by the middle of my trip, I ought to have got this far,、mm-hmm. and yeah, and in that way, you only need to be booking a few nights in advance in order to still be able to get you know reasonable accommodation at a reasonable price. Yeah, it's pretty common after you've done this for a while to start just showing up in cities.、Mm-hmm. So we would find, especially over summer, we'd just rock into a city, go up to the information desk, and say, "Hey, what's available?" And they'll go, "Nothing. We're booked." Yeah. And like, what do you mean? Like the entire city booked out for the next four nights, and we'd go. Oh, oh. so we'd go back on the train, <laughs> <laughs> find somewhere else, go somewhere else,、yeah. and you know there'll be people around like advertising or touting hostels or cheap hotels or B and Bs,、mm-hmm. and they they'd all have disappeared. You know, we're、yeah. like, hey, where's 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 this whole mechanism that helps us find somewhere to stay? Yeah. It disappeared sometimes over、mm-hmm. the European summer. Yeah, so be aware of that, especially in France in May. For some reason, everyone in, in France they have a lot of public holidays. So especially over the weekend, long weekends, everything just gets totally booked out. Yeah, and big cities everywhere during the kind of university and school holidays, July、mm-hmm. August time. Then it plans to be booking kind of. I reckon about three nights in advance,、mm-hmm. you'll be completely safe. Yeah, and that gives you all of the flexibility that you want, while also making sure you've got somewhere to sleep. Yeah, one thing that I always recommend if you're planning your own trip, plan to spend two nights in each place, unless you're on a tour. That just means you can arrive one day, have a full day in the place, and then move on. So in this case, you could book your two nights, and then as soon as you arrive in that place, book the next place, and also book your transport to the next place. And that just means that you're a little bit ahead of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think a, a good note to make here is that there's no roaming costs for internet data use within the EU anymore. And so, if you arrive and you've got an unlocked phone, you can get a local SIM card、mm-hmm. with a data pack, and that data pack will follow you around from country to country. Without any issue, and a lot of the packs also have free calling either within European countries or at least back to its home country.、Mm-hmm. And so we'll often fly into Britain, get a thirty-pound SIM card, which comes with a month's worth of data and、mm-hmm. calls, and that'll last us for the first month or so. Yeah, works really well. One note on that, though, if you're going to be around for longer than the month or whatever that time is, you won't be able to easily top up. From outside of that country, so it can be in your best interests if you want to keep that number the whole time to go ahead and buy a couple of prepaid vouchers、mm-hmm. for credit before you leave, or you can just decide that hey, when I burn it out, I'll just buy a SIM card in the country I'm in then. Yeah, which works quite well. Sometimes it does take some time. It depends on the country. They might want you to fill in forms and things like that. Yeah, that's disappearing more and more,、mm-hmm. but it's still around. Uh, you can also rent or buy special. I guess you call it a dongle, like little micro Wi-Fi signal senders、mm-hmm. that you put in a local chip and use that to create a tiny hotspot、mm-hmm. for your phone, for your laptop, for whatever. And in that way, you can keep your phone number, keep your phone, or not have to unlock your phone. Yeah. And still have this、uh, cellular connection on the side. Yeah, we used a service called Drome several years ago. That's D R O A M. That worked really well. Yeah, yeah, it's good. 
Okay, a couple of other small tips before we finish up. I would really recommend that you learn a few words of the language in each country you're going to. It really makes a difference. Just about 10 words, one, two, three, please. Thank you. Beer, wine, or coffee, or whatever your drink is, and bathroom. Just saying bathroom with a questioning tone really can make a big difference when you really need to go to the toilet. Absolutely. And while you can easily mime out the need to get something to eat or uh, something to drink, you may not want to be miming out your great need to find a bathroom. Exactly. So that's a, a really good recommendation there. If you get the Lonely Planet Europe on a shoestring, at the back of the book, they have a list of translations for, for common phrases that you might need. So maybe make a photocopy of that could be quite useful. Yeah. I remember our first big trip through Europe. We had our own copy of that Lonely Planet Europe on a shoestring. It's massive. It's super thick. And so what we do is as we went to each city or each country, we would literally cut out those pages mm -hmm. of the book. So it's like, oh, we don't need to use that language anymore. Okay, cut that out. <laughs> I don't need to remember what date this book was published by. Okay, cut out the first five pages of the book. Yeah. And so over time, we literally used up this book. It got thinner and thinner and lighter and lighter. Yeah. And it meant we had this kind of hit list of places we hadn't been to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was quite fun. And uh, yeah, so that was cool. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably won't be traveling with huge bricks of travel guides these days, and I, we don't really recommend it. But it was quite nice, you know, if we're sitting in the evening, reading through the book, having a look at where we might go next. Oh, we didn't talk about the Camino, which is something that we have talked about a lot in previous conversations. Make sure to plan, if you want to do something big like that, that you incorporate that into your, your trip planning right at the beginning. Because if you're going to be doing a multi-day hike or some sort of event or you know, even like a yoga retreat or something like this, take that into consideration right at the beginning of your trip planning and, and work your trip around it. Thinking of the Camino, we were recently on another podcast talking about it with Adam at Sun Lounge Radio. Yeah, so we just talked briefly about the Camino and how much we love it. So we'll put a little bit of a clip at the end of the show if you're interested in listening to that. Yeah, Adam's show is quite neat because he mixes uh, the sounds and the songs of a place with interviews by travellers like us. So if you're interested, make sure to look it up on iTunes, Sun Lounge Radio. That brings us towards the end of the show, and our sponsor this week has been Big Domain at thebigdomain.com. So they offer places to stay around the world that sleep 10 to 90 people. So next time you're planning a trip with lots of people, it's a really good place to look for your accommodation. They don't just offer places for like family and friend holidays. They also offer places which specialize in celebrations like wedding venues. And like we mentioned before, they have a whole different variety of different types of accommodation. Villas, country houses, ski lodges, super yachts. You're sure to find something that's pretty awesome. Check them out for your next big, and I do mean big, trip <laughs> at thebigdomain.com. So we need to head back and start planning our trip to Europe because that's coming up in a month or so. That's right. We're at about point number three on our checklist. We have done some dreaming, got excited, done some research and booked our flights. Uh, we're hopping from Auckland to Christchurch to Melbourne, and that finishes off our Pacific section for the next little while. And then uh, we jump through Singapore up to Athens, and then we'll probably go Athens, uh, around Greece, Spain, and then the UK for a couple of months before it starts getting cold again and we run away down south. Yeah, so it should be good. We're really excited. 
but we haven't done all that much planning or booking. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's all about filling in the gaps and finding some cool stuff to do, eh? That's right. So that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well. Speaking about this Spanish marvel, I'm delighted to have Linda and Craig Martin, and they're two Kiwis, aka New Zealanders, who travel around the world and bring you it all in a wonderful podcast called Indie Travel Podcast. It gives you tips on all things travel. Great to have you on the Sun Lounge this week, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Great to be here. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because you guys are real vagabonds and, and um, you travel quite a lot. And since 2006, you've been putting out this Indie Travel Podcast together and it's been ranked as one of the top 25 podcasts on various sites in Australia and New Zealand. Do you have this sort of fire in the belly every time you think of a new destination? Oh, man, it's pretty crazy. You know, we took off in February 2006 and we have been homeless since then, uh, living out of hotels, Airbnbs, uh, apartment rentals home swaps every time you jump off a bus or a train or a plane there's new sights new sounds new food and even though I'm quite an introvert there's new people as well and new ways of thinking about the world so for me that's the thing that keeps me going I like to show up with no preconceived ideas and then figure out what's going on along the way. Let's get to the Camino de Santiago. Maybe not many have heard of it. Uh, what is it and where is it? So basically, in the Middle Ages, Christians liked to do pilgrimages. They'd go to Rome or they'd go to Jerusalem. But Rome and Jerusalem were quite far away. And so a new one was developed, uh, Santiago de Compostela. Part of the reason why it was developed was because Spain was being overtaken by Muslims and they needed a kind of a central rallying point. These days, it's partly a Christian pilgrimage, but you can also just walk it because you like hiking. And it's it's wonderful because it's not just one route. It's a network of routes that all go to Santiago de Compostela in the northwest coast of Spain. So if you just imagine Spain and then Europe, everyone would just leave their house and start walking towards the city. And so these routes would come up as people came together to walk together for safety and security, you know, because they had to carry all their money with them to be able to get all the way there. And so once you get into Spain, there's still dozens of different paths that you can walk as far from Norway or from Turkey or Jerusalem. There's a path. I read one report that said that the Camino de Santiago was responsible for more movement of people in Europe during the Middle Ages than all of the wars, famines, feasts, diseases and everything else combined.